Hey guys, before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is fueled by Gatorade, Gatorade's proven formula. Whatever path you take, greatness starts with G. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks the wildcat formation is for cowards. Why not the wild dog formation, he says. Uh, joining me today is, again, I don't think it's been a while since he's been on, noted cat enthusiast, one of the hosts of the Ringer NFL show now. I think the last time you came on was actually before you started that job, Steve Ruiz. Welcome back. Yep. Yep. This is my first time as a Ringer employee. Wow. I, I feel like, um, I don't know, you're like... Brand, I'm trying to think of an analogy that's not self-aggrandizing. I do this every time because I keep making myself Belichick. The reality is it's like, well, can you be? Can I be McVay and you can be Staley? Maybe like coming back to SoFi Stadium to face me down, although it's not at all applicable to what's happening here. Yeah, because I feel like the Belichick analogy makes you like the greatest coach of all time. And then like <laughs> all of the understudies suck. So yeah, uh, I, I'd appreciate the Staley one. That one's better. Grable's having some success lately, right? I mean, That's he, he's true. not actually really an understudy. It's kind of weird. Anyways, um, yeah, um, everybody just go into the ring. So, so you're on Fridays, I believe. Correct? That's right. For the with uh, Ben Solak and Kaylin Jones. Awesome. Who uh, people actually? I've never had Kaylin on. Maybe I'll have Kaylin on. But um, I appreciate you coming back. I. I hit you up and at first I, I sent you a bunch of really weird games to talk about i think i even i just really That's strange right. ones and then i think i may have thrown in dolphin jets dolphins jets for me and then i said you know what actually let's just talk about a few of the teams and things that i think are interesting and um including well the jets weirdly today um i did tell you before we started i am going to do a bad teams sorry Jets fans, in case you didn't know, podcast at some point this season. Um, but I do want to mix in some more teams. Like I haven't talked about the Eagles in a really long time. We're going to talk about the Eagles today. We're going to talk about your beloved Carolina Panthers. Keep um, pounding. Keep pounding. I w- listen. Don't let's not even get ahead of ourselves. Let's save all of that emotion that I'm sure comes with that conversation for the end. But first, I, I did want to talk about the Jets briefly because right before. Um, I hit you up today. I think the news broke that uh, Robert Sala, the head coach of the Jets, said Joe Flacco is going to be the starting quarterback against Miami Dolphins this weekend. Uh, and then we also found out Joe Flacco is not vaccinated because he hasn't showed up wearing a mask at a press conference, which um, I have absolutely nothing to say about other than the fact that that p- bit of news made me realize I know absolutely nothing about Joe Flacco, like off the field, nothing. I was thinking to myself, I'm like, am I surprised by this information? And I was like, I, I have no idea. I know nothing that, about this man. That's by design. I, I lived in Baltimore, so I always heard Baltimore sports radio. And the thing about Joe Flacco is like in the offseason, he just disappeared and didn't care about football at all. And then he would show up in like August and then they, he'd be ready to you know, underthrow a bunch of passes and draw some pass interference calls. So smooth. I mean, the only like off the field thing about him was when he showed up with cool hair one day and I was like, whoa, Joe Flacco. Um, okay. So I, I guess I've actually, it's been a few hours since this, if my first reaction was what the hell is going on. But actually since then I have talked myself into this making sense. <laughs> no, no. My first reaction was like, oh, they're trying to justify the fact that they randomly traded a draft pick for Joe Flacco. Um, which I think could totally be true, by the way. But Zach Wilson is still hurt or they don't want to push it against a Dolphins defense that just terrorized Lamar Jackson. And, you know, which, by the way, fair. Like, actually, from like an organizational perspective, not a bad uh, standpoint. So then when you really think about it, it comes down to Joe Flacco and Mike White. Mike White you know, did not exactly cover himself in glory against the Bills. That whole thing ended. And, you know, their reasoning was that, like, oh, well, Joe Flacco will be better against the the Dolphins' crazy blitz-happy defense. Of course, we saw Joe Flacco literally fail against this defense. But I think, actually, this is more of an organizational failure than a coaching one because, like, organizationally, you can criticize Joe Douglas for making that trade and not having a better backup or, hell, even drafting Zach Wilson in the first place. But, like, what the heck is Robert Salat supposed to do? Yeah, I 
kind of agree with you. I <laughs> don't see any reason to play Zach Wilson right now. If his knee is not 100%. Now, I feel like there's people questioning whether they're just like protecting him from having to play because he was playing poorly before his injury or if they're actually like this is what you are saying. Like they're trying to put out a veteran there against a blitz heavy defense. But my thing is, is Joe Flacco, does he give you a better chance no. against a blitzing defense? Like Joe Flacco hasn't moved outside the pocket since what, 2010, 2011. Yeah. I don't know how I mean, this helps them. I should mention Josh Johnson is also there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Isn't he always, he's just always around Oh, his, for every when, team. When he came in for Mike White on that Thursday night game, when pe- that Wikipedia list of every team he's played on started circulating, it was honestly incredible. Shout out to Josh Johnson for, you know, continuing to play football. Um, yeah. It, th- I think this is one of those things when by the end of the season, look, if, if Wilson doesn't, look good at any point. I expect Robert Sala to be on the hot seat. Um, And I'll get to that at the end of the season. At the moment, like, again, I I, I get it to like, you can't fail as much as the Jets have and not have those questions. And I I hear people saying, well, his calling hard is supposed to be defense. And I get that. But the only thing this defense is good at is rushing the passer. And if you're able to neutralize that, like, you know, the the Bills did, for example, I mean, the secondary is as bad as it was before the season. They just kind of weren't as terrible in the beginning of the year. Yeah, and I feel like they've gotten worse and they're playing like they obviously just lost Marcus May, but Marcus they've May, yeah. been playing free agents off the street. And I do think that's an excuse. Like it covers up some of the bad performance, but they're giving up 45 points per game over like the last month. And that's a little wild. Like, yes, that excuse only works so much. Yeah. My question about, about the Wilson thing is, is that not an indictment of the coaching staff that they can't protect Wilson or won't have an answer to cover zero when they have all this time to prepare for it? Well, it's like, it becomes complicated, right? Because we've actually seen now other quarterbacks have a little more success. I mean, there was the Mike White game and then the Mike White quarter. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, it is a difficult one because it becomes like, okay, if this fails, do you blame Joe Douglas for drafting him or do you blame Robert Salas slash Mike LaFleur? You know, and it's complicated. I mean, the correct answer is probably both, to be honest. Um but look, that that I, I'm not throwing in there's this entire half the season left. We actually have not seen Zach Wilson play that much football. So no reason to panic yet, Jets fans. I think as far as this immediate decision, this just there's no good rationale for it, but there's also no good alternative. So that was a dark. I don't even know why. Why did I start the show with Joe Flacco? That was so stupid. Um let's talk about a team that is relevant. Well, this is also a little bit dark, but I but I actually I, I'm I don't think it's totally gloomy. I think there's a lot of solutions here. I want to talk to you about what we've seen out of the Rams from the last couple of games um, and kind of whether it can be fixed. And I think this is a conversation that has to be had on both sides of the ball. I mean, let's get to the offense because ultimately you're talking about two games where the offense, you know, spotted both the Titans and then the 49ers 14 points, right? And that kind of changes everything when you talk about these games. But I think um, I like watching this Rams defense just get rolled by the it's it feels inaccurate to call him the Jimmy Garoppolo led San Francisco 49ers the Jimmy Garoppolo adjacent San Francisco 49ers <laughs> um I always enjoy at the end of games when they win and he gets the post game and he's like and it's like dude you're just there but it's fine um I'm such a hater um no he played well he made a couple of really nice throws in this game I thought and the fourth down throw was, was the fourth good. down throw was really good and really though but I thought I, let me let me start by asking you this, I guess, about the Rams defense. Do you think this is just a case where the, the Niners are the worst possible matchup for the Rams, which I think is fair? Or do you think there are some weaknesses here that other teams can and will attack? I'd say it's both. And you could look back at the first uh, 49ers game last year. Yeah. When they had Brandon Staley, they had the number one defense. They got ran over, too, in a similar spot. And the 49ers used similar tactics. I do think, though, that this shows a weakness in the scheme because you have Raheem Morris basically running Brandon Staley's scheme. I know Morris has put his own stamp on it, but the last time we saw this defense when it was coached by Brandon Staley, it was getting exploited by another Shanahan coach. It was getting uh, exploited by Matt LaFleur. And 
I felt like the 49ers used some of those tactics. And I know the Packers borrowed from from the 49ers game plan last year to put together their playoff game plan. Mm. But if this is a this is an issue we've seen now three times in the last two years against this type of scheme, I think you have to say that this matchup is an issue. And I would be less concerned if it wasn't so easy to replicate the things the 49ers did. Obviously, you don't yeah. have Shanahan pulling the strings, but I don't think like loading up with heavy formations is a thing that other teams can't do. They have the firepower to do it, including the Green Bay Packers, who are one of the teams that are going to threaten the Rams in the NFC playoffs. I think my concern with the Rams is that it's the scheme, but it's also the personnel. What? Yeah, I mean, it's so this is the yeah. team that look, nobody is worried about this Rams pass rush, right? Um, very, very good up front. And then there's Jalen Ramsey, which is a joke I made and laughed before I delivered it, which people pointed out. Um, and I thought it was funny at the time. And why am I repeating it? I don't know. But um, something <laughs> that really jumped out to me in this game in particular was, so Darius Williams now, who's the other outside cornerback, I think has been back two or three games at this point. So he was injured for you know much of the beginning of the season. Um, he was playing a lot better last year. And really the whole secondary was playing better, Stephen. And it's like, okay, y- y- the, the concept with Jalen Ramsey at that star position is you want him around the football and you want him... Um, it, it, last year at times they would have him like cover the number one wide receiver. Like if it was DK Metcalf and they could in Ramsey could like body him outside, they would do that. They're really do not doing that this year, right? They did a little bit with Hopkins or whatever. And I think part of, so afterward the game, I was upset because I was like not upset, but I was criticizing the Rams for just having Jalen in the slots so much or not having him. Um, go up against Samuel, you know, and his his targets when he's not not when he's carrying out the backfield. But afterwards, the more when I rewatched it, I was like, damn, I'm not sure they've got anyone else at this point who can really handle. I mean, I, I, I just think that they're really, really thin. Yeah. And the problem is you're not going to be able to replicate that body type at corner. Like no team in the league, not even the Packers who have Jair Alexander when he's healthy, the Bills with Trey White, like. Ramsey is his own thing and his own special type of defensive weapon. And the, and I agreed with you, the fact that you're putting him in the slot and they, it's something they've been doing all year Mm -hmm. limits his usefulness to me. Like you're getting, you're basically playing him at linebacker. Like that's why you're playing him there. Right. Like you're playing him as a box safety linebacker hybrid. And I, I don't know about you, but I feel like a number one corner who could lock down the number one target on the other team is way more valuable than that. Like I know Ramsey can do that stuff and he, and it, looks amazing when he does it, but I'd rather him covering the number one receiver on the outside. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's kind of the best at like outside of the rushing, the passer, he is the best at everything on the Rams defense. Like he is, he hits hard, he tackles, he can cover, he's got size. And I think it's kind of like the thought is, okay, well, if he can do all these things, let's put him where he can affect the football as much as possible, which is fine until Debo Samuel goes off for a hundred yards against you. And then you're like, well, it's great that he made those tackles and took out this part of the field. Um, So yeah, that that's, I think a a change I would make. And then the other thing is, um, you know, linebacker has been a weakness on this roster for some time now. Um, But again, I don't see, I like, even if you don't have Debo Samuel, if I'm a team like the Packers, you mentioned, and I watch Jimmy Garoppolo just, constantly go after linebackers over the middle of the field why wouldn't you do the same against the rams i granted you know you have to be like jimmy is pretty accurate out of the gun getting the ball quickly well i mean it's Aaron Rodgers, whatever but like i'm just saying not every quarterback's like that but like to me it's such an obvious area of this rams defense to target yeah and going back to that packers game i, I really think that was an important game for how teams are yeah. matching up this year like that was the most important game of last year scheme wise and if you watch that game, like Aaron Rodgers wasn't this MVP Aaron Rodgers. He was like a game manager. They were handing the ball off a ton to A.J. Dillon against those light fronts because he's just a battering ram. And they were throwing short, quick passes that took advantage of the soft defense on the outside. Like, you don't need Aaron Rodgers to do that. As the 49ers have proven, you could have Jimmy Garoppolo in attack the second level of that defense and have a lot of success. And hmm. the fact that they play so light up front I don't think running the ball, like going run, run, pass is as 
problematic for them because you're getting a lot of yards. Like you're not facing third and five a lot. You're facing third and two a lot. And then at that point, it becomes really hard to blitz, to send a blitz, which I think is what Raheem Morris does differently from Brandon Staley. He's going to be more aggressive. It's hard to blitz on third and two. Yes. It's just hard to do. Especially when Jimmy Garoppolo is getting the ball out so quick. And I think that, right. right, like the Niners were like, they weren't actually breaking off that many explosive runs with Elijah Mitchell. They were just perfectly content being like, here's four, here's four and a half. Okay, now we're on third and short again. Boom, quick. You know, and I think, um, yeah, so so I guess it is fun. I mean, there's a whole separate conversation to have about team building and like de-emphasizing, like how the league has kind of de-emphasized the linebacker position generally and how the Rams have kind of leaned, okay, we've got, you know, the number one corner and then these this pass rush and how now you're seeing some of the better def- offenses in the NFL kind of attack the soft middles of these teams. But um, we're in the season right now. If you're the Rams defense, like what kind of adjustments do you think you can make other than, as we discussed, potentially having Jalen Ramsey take out the number one wide receiver? I mean, honestly, I think that's the answer. And it's not just because he's taking out the number one receiver. It's because you put him on the outside and then all of a sudden you can condense space. You can put the other 10 guys in a smaller area. If Jalen Ramsey is close to the formation, you can't do that. Like your outside corner, now all of a sudden he needs safety help on the backside three by one. You can't push that safety to the other side. Now you have problems and the overlap that Brandon Staley's scheme created is all of a sudden it's not there anymore. And I think you're seeing that in the run game and in the passing game. That's the difference between last year. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Offensively, I think it's actually easier to fix. Um, Yeah, okay, you agree. So yeah, I mean, so um, during the Titans game, I was texting with your and my mutual friend, Dan Orlovsky, and um, Jeffrey Simmons was just absolutely obliterated, and Nico Autry, they were just getting just smashed literally david edwards was stomped into the ground i can't believe he like it it was honestly one of the most horrifying things i've ever seen um and dan and i kept texting we're like okay why are they still an empty right because there's so much the first part of the season i think a lot of us were really surprised to see not surprised but we were intrigued by some of the changes in the rams offense which by the way pause we're succeeding you know you had um McVay using Stafford more as a traditional dropback passer, um, really not booting him out as much as perhaps we would have expected. And then they used a lot more empty, which is something we were seeing with, or you saw through the first half of the season with a lot of the Shanahan offenses around the NFL. So through the first nine games of the season, um, Matthew Stafford was completing 72% of passes out of empty. Monday, it was 13%. Uh, the last two weeks, actually, this is a better stat. The first nine games, he had a QBR of 80. The last two weeks, it's been 16. So throw that out, I think, is a good place to start, wouldn't you say? Yeah. <laughs> I, my dad's a Rams fan, and he called me this morning. And Wait, I like to... pause. What? Oh, yeah, my dad's from a Rams fan. He's from Los Angeles. He's from oh, he's like an OG Rams fan. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was born there. He moved to D.C. when he was like eight. But I usually <laughs> like... You know, I like needling him about the Rams. Like when they signed Jared Goff, I like called him and made fun of him for it, even though he thought Jared Goff was good at the time. And but I couldn't do that about these last two games because I did think the offense, their performance wasn't I don't think it's a cause for concern. And I say that because I think you had two separate you had two different issues plaguing them the last two weeks. Obviously, against the Titans, it was pass protection and their insistence on staying in empty, even though Jeffrey Simmons was destroying them. This last week, I thought it was just a combination of the receivers not being able to catch the football and and Matthew Stafford forgetting how to throw an accurate football. Like I have stats here. 11 of their, let me count how many, uh, 11, 12, 13. They had 15 incompletions. Five of them were due to inaccurate passes. Six Mm. of them were due to receiver error, according to PFF. Only two were due to to, uh, tight coverage and only one was due to defensive line pressure. So it's not like the receivers weren't getting open or Stafford was under too much duress. They just were messing up in ways that we haven't seen them mess up before. And maybe that was the Robert Woods injury. Maybe that's the effect. Yeah, I think that's totally something that like was under. I mean, Robert Woods is so core to what they do on offense. The idea that they would just immediately, you know, he does everything right. Like this is. It's like almost like a meme because Chris Collinsworth would just like go off about it on some after the Rams were on Sunday Night Football. Oh, that Robert Woods blocking 
in motion. You know, I don't know. It's not what Chris Collins sounds like, but whatever. Um, yeah, I think there's. They just kind of look disjointed. I think the two. You're, and you're you're totally right. This the second game was much more like just general inaccuracy and weirdness in the first. The, although I will say the interior of the offensive line did get blown up a few times by the Niners as well. It's definitely um, a weakness, and it is definitely. a weakness. Yeah, it's the weakness of the team, and it's one that I think can be addressed by protecting them a little bit more. Um, obviously, the empty thing, but also just you know maybe turning up the play action dial a little bit, putting Stafford. Stafford's a great bootleg quarterback, you know, like put him on the move. Um, and the inaccuracy thing, to me, that was like just kind of that's something that's propped up a couple times. It actually in, in the Seahawks game, which the Rams won, of course, Stafford looked inaccurate here and there. And Arizona at the time, too, right? I was like, yeah, I was like, well, yeah, this is who he's been his whole career. Like, I don't know why mm-hmm. I, I know we're kind of, you know, he was an MVP candidate and he's in this offense and they're so explosive and great. But like Stafford's always had kind of bouts of weird inaccuracy. That's not like out of nowhere. So I think you just kind of have to live with that um, and then figure out how to make kind of make adjustments post Robert Woods, protect the offensive line a little more. Uh, but I'm not terribly worried about the offense. No, neither am I. And I know like some of the nerds who were, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say they were against the Stafford trade, but they weren't as high as on it as we were. They kind of use this two week stretch to be like, see, look, he's, no, you can't he's not do that. that. No, Justice came on and I we called this a straw man and you can't come on and do the same straw man. It already, already okay, happened on this. Podcast. That's not it, the point though. That's it's not like the point. four point, people. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. Well, th- my point is that we never really thought Stafford was like this elite quarterback that was coming to this elite coach. It was more like, Oh, Stafford's a good quarter, like an actually good quarterback, unlike golf. And now you put him in this offense and he's going to be great. And that's what's happened. But there's a reason why we didn't consider Stafford elite. And it's because of these last two games. Like sometimes he just loses his mind and throws a bad pass or sometimes he's inaccurate. And we're starting to see that we didn't see it the first eight weeks or so, but now we're seeing it. I think it's fair. Yeah, he, and also he's clearly better than Jared Goff. Like, did you watch the Lions-Steelers game? My God. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, the, like, like, just to kind of put a bow on it, the defense is a bigger concern for me, especially given the nature of some of the competition they'll place in the NFC, like Dallas, who we're going to talk about later as well. Um, but I think the offense is going to be fine. All right. On a happier note, let's talk about the Eagles. Well, it's happier for me. I actually don't know your thoughts. I just texted you like I want to talk about the Eagles offense because I haven't talked about the Eagles at all. Uh, we haven't really been talking about them on our show because they're not contenders. But all of a sudden, they're four and six. And our FPI uh, football power index says that they have a 25.4% chance of making the playoffs now. So I went uh, this morning on my flight back to Los Angeles. I watched this weekend's game and I am like, I liked what I saw. I mean, how did you feel watching them? Yeah, I, I went into watching them because I hadn't watched them really a lot this year just because they're yeah. Eagles. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. But I like Jalen Hurts more than I thought I would. It, it's kind of similar to how I felt about him coming out of college. Like I watched this film and I was like, I'm not willing to like say like he's going to be great, but I feel like there's a chance that he could be decent. And I had the same thought two years later. But I think it's more impressive now because he's doing it against NFL caliber defenses and he's doing it in the NFL and not in Lincoln Riley's offense, which is a lot easier to run. Yes. Against a freaking Broncos defense that just tore Dallas a new one, too. Um, You know, they're not patsies. And I... Okay, so first, this has been going on for a while now, like the improved performance. So um, the last four weeks, Jalen Hurts is first in QBR. Um... So a lot of that, obviously, QBR uh, places a lot of value on quarterbacks who generate value with their legs. And uh, the Eagles realized that Jalen Hurts is one of the better running runners in the NFL. Um, it was like the first, very first drive, they opened with zone read. And then the next play, Boston Scott pops off for like, I don't know, it was 15 or 20 yards or something. Because that's what happens when you have a quarterback who is a threat in zone read. Like... Well, I don't know how this wasn't a thing all year with the Eagles, but whatever. That's old stuff. Um, but it's not just running. Like, I was really impressed just watching this game, mostly the first half. He didn't really do anything in the second half. By his pocket presence, I was really impressed by some of the throws he made against the Blitz. 
And then there were like two or three like genuinely really good throws. I mean, the one to Goddard, you know, the third down conversion where he like steps up and kind of uh, shuffles to his left and then um, hits him on the crosser. Like that was like a legitimately very, very good throw. But I, like I, I if I'm an Eagles fan, like I feel like you can win games with this guy. Yeah, and I think that running ability was kind of undersold when he was coming out of college. Like it wasn't just yeah. that he was a running quarterback in let's say the same way that Justin Fields is like, no, Jalen Hurts was had legitimate running back skills at Oklahoma. They used him differently than they used Kyler Murray and obviously Baker Mayfield. And we saw that against the Broncos. Like it wasn't like these play designs were just springing him. He had to beat some defenders to get some positive yards. And he did it almost every time. Like he's a special runner. He's not Lamar, obviously. And I don't think he's cam, but he's kind of like in the middle ground between those two, where he's a bigger dude and he's fast and he can get around guys. Like he's a legitimate threat in the run game. And that changes the geometry and the numbers of how the defense has to play the Eagles. And the fact that he can throw himself, he could throw a go ball, like say what you want about his quarterbacking skill, but that man could throw a nine route. And if you could do that and run, you put so much stress on the defense because there's only certain things you can do to defend those option plays. And one of them is leaving your, your corners one-on-one on the outside with Devontae Smith out there. That is a dangerous proposition. Shukapadia posted this. Um, so since Jalen Hurts came into the league as a runner, he is second in success rate behind Josh Allen. It's because Lamar runs so much, his success rate is lower. And is averaging 6.3 yards per carry. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, and yeah, like it completely changes, um, you know, the way defenses, like everything, it makes them... I mean, there was one run he when they, he caught them in man, and I, it was one of his longer runs. Uh, let me write down. I think it was on the second drive or something. Um, no, it was the third drive. Yeah, it was a thirty-one yard run because he caught them in man, and and it's like if you can do that as a quarterback, like and not only you know like break a tackle, but just kind of explode in the open field. It like defenses really can't play man against him. Um, so if that's the play I think you're talking about. He really exploded. Was that yeah. the one where he had like a guy open in the flat? And I was like, Oh, throw it, throw it, throw it. And then yeah, he yeah, just yeah, took yeah, off. Yeah. And I was like, was Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm the idiot, not you. I'm the idiot because he's that <laughs> fast. Play. Because he's that fast. Right. Um, you know, I it, the Eagles are in an interesting position, right? Because they've got those draft picks next year, but like based on I don't know what we've seen from the college quarterbacks so far, I feel like if you're Philadelphia. I would just spend those draft picks on, I don't know who the top college players are, but like you got to rebuild, you got an aging team, rebuild them. And I would, if it, again, this is all predicated. If Hertz keeps playing like this, you are, I think you clearly hit a home run with Devonte Smith, right? As your wide receiver. And that was a great bit of moving around the draft. Um, this is like the beginning of like, this is like a really nice way to rebuild. And you can see also if he continues improving, I mean, that's what really, if I'm an Eagles fan, I'd feel good about is the fact like this is a guy who's improved since coming into the NFL. Um, so there's no reason to think it like he can't get better. Yeah. And imagine or just think about where Eagles fans were a year ago, like going into that offseason when they had no cap space and like basically no prospects yeah. and they weren't obviously high on Jalen Hurts. I feel like this is the best case scenario for their season. Like they, their totally. picks are still going to be high. Hurts is showing that he can at least be a competent starting quarterback and let's say, like, I agree with you. Don't use any of these picks on a quarterback, not only because of the class, but you continue to build up this roster. And let's say Hertz isn't the guy. All of a sudden, you're you're an attractive landing spot for a veteran quarterback who might want to leave his team. Maybe a Russell Wilson, maybe an Aaron Rodgers. Like, I'd rather have that than have to put my faith in Sam Howell. Oh, yeah, and... The, the I was about to say, and also you could trade Hertz if you wanted the QB factory. It's back, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. So I'm I'm like I feel like both of us are like really like trying to be like super cautious right now, and now we're having this conversation. But um, I was really impressed. I I don't know. I I imperfect, but and not making like crazy throws most of the time, but like. Absolutely. Like, who would you compare him to right now? Like, who would you say, what other starter in the NFL would you say? Like, not, not, I don't mean compare it like is the same style of quarterback, but like gives you the same floor and ceiling. 
Ooh, that's a good question. With who he is uh, now. Because, again, this is a young quarterback. Yeah. He's in his second year. Not, It wasn't even a full year. Like, you know, he can still keep being better. I'm going to go back in the past for a, com- a comparison. I'm going to go with David Garrard from the Jaguars. Oh, Jesus Christ. With a little yeah. – but one that – but if he could run and teams were willing yeah, to use yeah. him as a runner like the Eagles clearly are. But I think he's that type of quarterback who can put up like 25 touchdowns, five interception season type seasons. And yeah. add stuff in the run game. And that's enough, especially if your defense is good. Like those Jacksonville teams made the playoffs. How, it wasn't like they were a bad team. How how the hell was this offense so different in the beginning of the year? <laughs> it's really because yeah. I watched it at the beginning of the year. I was like, oh, uh, I know I understand. I, I mean, it is noteworthy that like the offensive line wasn't fully healthy. Right. And is, is so core to what they do. Like they just maul dudes up front. And I imagine that kind of influenced some of the run-pass balance and the over-dependence on screens early on. But still, like, look at this dude run. Like, it, right. you know, the comp, I mean, his skill set is so obvious, um, and it's so obvious how to best game plan around it. At, like, their their option plays were, were hand the ball off or throw a bubble screen outside. They mm-hmm. did, it took them a while to realize, no, the better second option is have Jalen Hurts go around the edge and run. Yeah. At least they finally learned it, and they, now they have this this run game that they can really hang their hat on. All right, well, let's take a quick break and then talk about another dual-threat quarterback, one who is a little closer to your heart. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. So, Stephen, just be fully transparent here. How did you react when Cam scored his first touchdown and screamed, I'm back? I was screaming along with him. Did you say, I like I watched pounding? that play and I was like, I didn't say keep pounding. My heart said it though. But <laughs> he did. He uh, when he first took the snap and he started uh, going outside. I was like, oh no, this play is dead in the water. Yes. Dave Collins is there. He's gonna blow him up. Yes. And then he just stiff arms him to the ground. And then runs around a, a Christian McCaffrey block on Isaiah Simmons of all people and scores a touchdown. It was like, oh, he's back. I'm. I'm I was. I was optimistic, but cautiously optimistic. But now I'm like looking at Panthers playoff odds and, and thinking about whether they can make <laughs> okay. a run in the playoffs. Let's put a pin in that. I um I don't think we learned anything about Cam Newton, the passer in this game, obviously. We not. But we did learn he can still move because he absolutely should not have scored there. And I think that was um like my only, frankly, my only takeaway from this game, Cam wise, is like dude, he is still big and strong and fast because that was really impressive. I mean, yeah, but like it's, did you watch Christian McCaffrey? My colleague Ryan Clark was talking about this yesterday, like just watching Christian McCaffrey, like 
who is like ostensibly a very cool dude who like dates a supermodel and plays the piano, just turn into like a 12 year old boy watching Cam Newton, like dancing, like he just couldn't help himself. And then after the game, I think he said, you know, Cam's just not like any other quarterback I've ever been around somewhere. Sam Darnold sheds a tear, my God. But um, like the, it's so obvious the impact that he has on the football team. I don't know. And this is what I want to talk to you about. Like what that could, should, might look like because I it sounds like he's going to start this week based on everything we're hearing and he's getting the first team reps starter reps and Matt Rule sounds pretty enthusiastic about him like do you think that's the right move over PJ Walker do you think that it's actually what's going to happen where is your head at I wouldn't be surprised if we see like split duties on Sunday and then they start him and keep him in the game the whole time the following week Mm. But my optimism for this team going forward in the offense is not based on what happened on Sunday. It was based on what happened the nine Sundays before that and watching their film. Like I turn on the film and I know Panthers fans have been critical of Joe Brady, but I I swear this is one of the better offenses in the league when you watch it on film. Like I watched a lot of Sam Darnold. Mm. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that. And there were open guys like every single play. It was just a matter of whether Sam saw him, saw them and could get the ball to them or if he was going to lose his mind and make a bad play. And as we got later on in the season, he kept making more and more bad plays. And you started to see that frustration boil over like on the film. Like you could watch the film and see how frustrated Robbie Anderson was. Like there was a play <laughs> and I, now I'm forgetting what game it was, but oh, he no. was wide open in the flat. And for whatever reason, Sam Darnold didn't throw it to him and, and ended up scrambling for like one yard. And then Robbie Anderson just throws his arms up, looks at Sam Darnold and like points at him. And then like the play cuts off. And I'm like, I I feel you, Robbie. I feel you. But (laughs) this is a good offense for what they had to work with that quarterback. Like it was a lot of boot plays, which I think suits Cam's game. It was a lot of option routes out of the backfield. I think Cam can like, it's not like he has to study the offense hard to figure out those. You just stare at Christian McCaffrey. He's going to run inside or outside. He's going to get open. You throw him the ball. So the offense is already pretty simple. So I don't think the onboarding process is going to take too long. It's probably going to take a week or two before Cam really feels comfortable with it. But this offense has some good pieces. The play calling is really good, in my opinion. I think Joe Brady has a lot of good concepts, and he does a great job of window dressing and hiding those concepts from defenses. The problem is that offensive line, which is one of the worst offensive lines I've watched in the last couple of years. Weirdly was not that bad though on Sunday. <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't. And I think great. that's a testament to Brady. I, I swear like every week he has a new wrinkle, a new concept that helps his team out. It's just the quarterback situation guess, wasn't good enough. And there's only so much you can do with a bad quarterback. Th- that is my one concern about the Cam Newton return. I mean, again, like, you know, we'll see how he looks throwing the ball, but like there were times post COVID in new England. And some of this had to do with, I think the Patriots wide receivers kind of, you know, just the, everything about the situation, but when he was holding on to it, a tick too long. And I do worry about him a little bit behind this offensive line in particular. Like, I don't think I, I hear you on like Brady being a good fit for him and they have good skill players, but like it is, it, it, this is not the offense where you want to hold on to the football. No, I would agree with that. That's my one concern. I, the reason why I'm optimistic about that <laughs> aspect is I feel like I, I, I'm having to defend my, no, you're favorite. getting a little fan break. Like, I feel like you're, you're never a fan, which is just I, as, as at least if I've, blah, blah, since I've yeah. known you, I've never heard you sound like a fan and like you, you have a little bit of fan right now in you. And, uh, it's very funny. I swear I haven't felt like this since like it was before even 2018 the last time Cam played well. It this feels like 2011 again. Like the Panthers have a quarterback I can get excited about for the first time in, in a couple of years. But I do think like the concepts they call they aren't the most complicated. It's yeah. not like New England where there's a lot of route conversions and stuff and you have to see what the receiver's going to do, how he's going to react to the defense like it's just three-step drops get the ball out. And I think Cam can do that. I think he's smart enough to do that. And I think he's smart enough to take that second option that Brady bakes into play calls if the defense mm. takes away the first option. Like, he can get to that. And Darnold never could. And I think that's why this offense is going to take a huge step forward with just competent quarterback play. And I think Cam can give – I'm not going to say that Cam's going to come in and perform like a top yeah. 10 quarterback. But if he's like a top 20 quarterback, 
this offense is going to look pretty good. It's going to look a lot better than it did the last month or so. Well, it's a, in that respect, it's a great situation for him, right? Because it would be so different if he was coming in at the beginning of the season. But the expectations are so low because of the play from Sam Darnold. Like, just not turning over the football. Is gonna, which, by the way, is, you know, he's, he is good at that. He does protect the football. Um, is, is an upgrade for them. Do, but you, you, you mentioned the team's playoff prospects. Do you believe in the defense? I kind of, I, I like, I don't, I, I'm sort of torn because I think like it was, it's, there were a lot of smoke and mirrors at the very beginning of the season. Obviously there's a lot of talent, but I kind of oscillate on whether or not I think they're like where I would stack them, I guess, in the NFL. I think against a good quarterback, I, I think they could be an issue because they do rely on smoke and mirrors. Phil Snow is relying on these simulated pressures to yeah. get three runners, and they were getting them a lot at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And then they played Dak Prescott, and they weren't there, obviously. But like, look at the quarterbacks they're playing. Like, who am I supposed to be worried about? Mm. Uh, Tua, I'm not worried about him next week. Uh, Matt Ryan, I think, is playing like 2016 Matt Ryan, so he could present an issue. But like, Josh Allen is a good quarterback, but I'm not worried about him picking me apart pre uh, snap. And then, I, and then they get the Saints, and then there's two games against Brady, which could be an issue. But one of them is the last week, so maybe they're not playing against Brady in that game. But I think the defense is going to be good enough if the offense can just step up. And it's not like they have to win a lot of games to stay in this playoff spot. The fact they they just have Washington are... and Miami up next. And if they win yeah. those two games, which I think they can win, according to 538, their playoff odds go up to 62%. That's pretty good. The fact that you rattled off that schedule with such ease is a little scary to me because the level of investment that I'm picking up from you is uh, it's a uh, it's a little strong. It's a little strong. That's all. I'm ready um, to get my heart broken. I'm ready to get my heart broken again. It's been a while since I felt like this. Uh, you mentioned Dak Prescott, so let's talk about the game of the weekend: Cowboys Chiefs, or is it Chiefs Cowboys? I think it's actually in Dallas. Um, I'm gonna start with this question: In what way? Is there a is there any area in which the Chiefs are better than the Cowboys right now? Oh man, I'm no head coach. It's not maybe? even like a hard question. I was just taken aback. Oh uh, yeah, head coach, definitely head coach. Okay, I just but like if you put up the play. Sorry, call, it is in Kansas City. That was okay. my, my bad. Sorry, I got confused. If you play, put the play calling no, up against no. each other, I don't think it's an advantage for the Chiefs. On both sides of the ball, which is weird. No. Yeah, uh, I might uh, give Spags a slight edge over Dan Quinn. Okay, let's start there. Slight edge. Let's start there. Let's start with the Cowboys' offense versus the Chiefs' defense, which which would seem to be the real mismatch here. So, it is a Chiefs' defense that has improved in recent weeks. Granted, against the Giants, Jordan Love, and then uh, Raiders, you know, offense that is not what it was in the beginning of the season. Um, I think there's a lot of like, despite the schedule, I think there is a lot to be encouraged by watching this Chiefs defense, like relative to being the worst defense in the NFL, which is what they were at the beginning of the season. Uh, clearly, Spagnuolo, first of all, his defenses always get better as the year goes on, right? Like, someone, have one of your guys do a study. I'm sure it's true. Um, but uh, clearly, they've simplified things. Um, you know, they are blitzing less. This is a cover two defense now. I mean, it's 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 always been kind of like a cover two defense with like crazy stuff surrounding it and whatever and spinning it. But but they they now they really are playing a lot of just like super basic two high shells, trying to keep everything in front of them. Um, and against those offenses, it's worked. I don't. I just can't see how it works against Dallas. I, I I've been like I I guess your best hope is that. Um, you know, Frank Clark, who's been playing better, tees off on Terrence Steele if he's playing. <laughs> I, I uh, but other than that, and then maybe force a turnover or something. But other than that, it's it's a really tough matchup for them. Yeah, I don't think you could play one style of defense and have success against the Cowboys. And like you said, they've been playing more cover two and they haven't been blitzing as much. You have to be able to throw a lot of stuff at the wall at the Cowboys to fool them because they could beat you in so many different ways. And like, this is Kellen Moore's thing. This is why he's such a good play caller is he throws stuff out on the first drive, sees how you defend it, and then he counters it. And if he's able to throw a bunch of different stuff at you and your answer every time is cover two, soft cover two, 
you're going to get torn up in the second half. And then you have Dak Prescott. And if your plan B is I'm spags and I like the blitz a lot. Good luck doing that against the smartest quarterback Mm. in the league besides Tom Brady, who's been in the league for 20 years. Like you cannot blitz Dak Prescott and live to tell about it. It's just not not a a good business model. I I mean, I know like, yeah, I I think they're going to just really just try to force Dak and dink and dunk his way down the field and the Cowboys to run the ball and they'll oblige. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, the Do scary thing is they had all these answers at the beginning of the year, but now they got Michael Gallup back. That gives them another thing. Now they can play 12 personnel. They can it, play 11. They can play 10. They can play 11 personnel with a, an extra lineman as the second tight end. They do all this crazy stuff. I don't know how you have an answer for it if you're the Chiefs. Who can only notably, play you, they can have CD in the slot, back in the slot. And, I mean, God, forget the Chiefs. Like, just as we look forward to the Cowboys looking ahead as a playoff team, they're, they're, it's just a, such a matchup nightmare for them. Um for other teams, not for the, not for the Cowboys. Um, yeah, I, I mm, it's funny. The Cowboys are second in passing DVOA and 17th in rushing, which I think is just a more of a reflection of the defenses that they've played a little bit. Um, and the fact that they, and I was just kind of like pouring through the numbers. They're actually 21st in third down conversion rate, which I think hits DVOA pretty hard. Um, but again, none of this matters. It's the Chiefs. Like I don't know why I'm even bringing that. I was just kind of like, oh, that's weird. You know how like teams bring in like special coaches to be analysts? The Chiefs should bring in like a guy whose his whole job throughout the week is figuring out ways to hide Daniel Sorensen from the other team. Like that's his specialty. He spends he doesn't, hours he doesn't play on. anymore. He don't, they 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 hit him by not playing him as much. <laughs> um, he the his snaps are now pretty. I mean they they still have him in on like a f- some sometimes when they play dime. But um, God, who was it? Romo or? Collinsworth, who was where the Chiefs were on Sunday night football or no Monday night. Oh, it was us when they were talking about. So I think it was Brian Greasy was like, that's got to feel good. Like he sees the Internet. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Um, and I felt attacked. Um, OK, so. The other side of the ball, this is what I think this is interesting. So we're coming off of a Chiefs game where um, talked about this a little bit. The, the, the Raiders really stuck to their cover three. In large part because what the hell else are the Raiders going to do? What are you going to ask Jonathan Abram to freaking cover, uh, to, like to uh, to play deep? Uh, so it did not work. I do think that a lot of the Chiefs' success was sort of independent of the whole cover two, cover three, whatever debate, and more about the fact that a Mahomes until the end really actually was patient and took the underneath stuff, but also the um, Raiders were just not physical at all at the line of scrimmage. So you had Kelsey finally after weeks of kind of getting pushed around, just getting easy releases. And he was just wide ass open the entire game. Um, Dallas, interesting defense, not what we expected coming into. We thought they were going to be like the Raiders, right? Coming into the season Instead, they've really, um, they play a ton of man um, and they are pretty aggressive. What do you expect will be Dan Quinn's approach in this game? I think he's going to look at that tape because it is Dust Bradley and obviously he comes from the same coaching tree and he's going to watch other examples of, I know people had a problem with the cover three, but I don't, I think it's just how they played the cover three yes. that gave them issues against the Chiefs. But there are other examples of the Carroll coaching tree having success against this offense, even when it was at its best. Like the first time the Chiefs played the Seahawks, they didn't score a bunch of points. Pete Carroll did a pretty good job. So I think there's ways to play, still play in those single high structures, but have color cover two elements, like play top down. Yeah. But I think you're going to see, unless Andy Reid, and I do think he's been taking measures to kind of hide Kelsey and make it harder for teams to press him, but I think that's going to be something the Cowboys really focus on is disrupting his routes. And whether that's doing it by man or having an edge rusher chip him before they go in, I think that's going to be a big part of the game plan. Then, obviously, how they're going to deal with Tyreek Hill. I don't think they have a guy that they could just put on him. I know Trayvon Diggs has just been intercepting the ball every week. But I'm not living with Trayvon Diggs on him one-on-one. No. So that's why I I think we're going to see more zone in this game. I think we're going to see them present two high looks initially and then come down. And I agree with what you said, and I think you tweeted about this. Like, cover two wasn't the issue. 
it was how teams were playing that cover two that gave them the issue. Seth Galina from Pro Football Focus had this great breakdown showing the difference between where that second level was playing. Like against the Chiefs, they're dropping back deep. And against other teams, when you play cover two, your guys are closer to the line of scrimmage. And obviously Mahomes had a problem not taking the check down. He did it against the Raiders. I wonder how the Cowboys adjust. Are they going to keep their guys back deep? Are they are they expecting Mahomes to take those checkdowns again? I would bet that he's not going to do it two weeks <laughs> in a row. Because that's not how he plays. I was uh, in our group chat for our, our uh, for NFL Live. Marcus Spears uh noted correctly he was like every time patrick checks it down even when it goes for like seven yards after so like like i don't know, 11 yards if they whenever they show his face he just looks disgusted <laughs> he's so <laughs> unhappy doing it um and yeah that is that is the bet you want to make i think this is um it's not a bad matchup for the chiefs but i do think that they're not best suited to take advantage of what i believe is the cowboys defense's weakness uh which is I, I think Dallas is still soft against the run, candidly. Like mm-hmm. that's that was my big takeaway from the Denver game. Like I was like, you know, the 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 Denver loss. I was like, ah, Jack will be fine. I'm not worried about the defense. I was like, but watch this 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 these heavy uh, packages from Denver and uh, a combination of Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, just absolutely bully them. Like, yeah, somebody gonna do that? Is it the Kansas City? Absolutely not. <laughs> but um, it's there because. That is not their strength. And and like as much as like Micah Parsons is like electrifying as a pass rusher, like, you know, that he is their best pass rusher right now. Uh with I think Gregory's still out on this game. If I'm wrong, then there if he isn't, yeah. then you know, whatever. But um, you know, they 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 got out a lot out of Dorrance Armstrong in the Atlanta game, but to me, like that is like you can absolutely um bully the Cowboys defense. I just don't think the Chiefs, that's just not who they are, obviously. No, and I think the one reason the Chiefs' run game is so important is because it allow, allows them to get defenses out of those looks. And I think we've a lot of people have been screaming about this. Like, pull a guard, pull, put a tight end back there. Yeah, get a second back in the backfield so you can force the defense to do this. Not just by running the ball effectively, but by structure. Like, you have to put an extra guy in the box if they have a guy that can a movable gap in the backfield. And they're just not a team that can do that. Other teams are going to be able to exploit the Cowboys in that way. Like you said, the Chiefs are sadly not one of them. I mean, I still, I, I'm not betting against the Chiefs offense. Like they have the ability to move the ball on this Dallas team. I think it's like, it's like a willingness versus ability kind of question with them. Um, and then like, yeah, I, I, the Kelsey thing cannot be stated enough. Like I kind of feel like where Travis Kelsey goes, which is to say, does he get off the line of scrimmage is where this chief's offense goes. Um, just because of like the defensive looks that they're getting. And like, he, there was a point in the season where I was like, Oh, is he healthy? I think it was Mm -hmm. when after the Titans game, I think it's fine. I just think it comes down to like, does the defense across from you have a, have the ability to stop him? So I guess that's my question for you. Like, do you think Dallas can stop him? Uh, I do think they have, the structures defensively to do it. Like the problem with facing the chiefs in the past was you had to stop the Tyreek kill over out the deep over out. Yeah. And you had to do it without conceding numbers underneath because you had to bracket Kelsey yes. in some way. Like maybe it wasn't right. a true double team, but you had to have guys on either side of them. I don't know if you have to do that anymore with Kelsey. I think if they can't hide him at the line of scrimmage and you can get a jam on him and disrupt him, this is what the Patriots had success doing a couple of years ago when Mahomes first started if you could do that, it makes covering Tyreek Hill deep a lot easier. And I think I think the Cowboys have the bodies to do that specifically. I think they can neutralize Kelsey to the point where Hill is less of a threat. I don't know if that makes sense. But like oh, yeah. the pro- the problem is the offense has is gonna have a small margin for error. Because all of a sudden they're playing the new Chiefs. Like I know the are the new Chiefs, and 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 the, the, you and you know that's going to be like in Mahomes' head, right? Like, and that's the problem. Like, you have to pretend like it's a bad offense across the field, almost. Like, you gotta, like, the Chiefs are going to have to be play ball control and like not like a, this is like all just general vague cliche type stuff, but it's true. Like, Mahomes can't. Yeah. 
God, at the end of the last game, the Raiders game, when he he should have gotten picked, and then he went back to Darrell Williams and made that incredible catch. It really was the goofy "I'll do it again" meme. I was like, "No, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I don't care that he caught that. It was a great catch. Like, he has to fight that." Um, I don't know. I lean Cowboys in this one um, for all the reasons that like are pretty obvious based on our conversation. But I don't think it's impossible that the Chiefs move the ball and the move the ball on them. Pardon me, the way they did against Vegas. I just question whether or not they'll have the patience to do so. That is all. Yeah, and it really comes down to what type of game plan Quinn employs. I could yeah. totally see him just sticking with what has worked so far this year and getting gashed. I could see that happening. And the Chiefs maybe, or the Cowboys maybe have a game like they had against the Broncos, where I don't think it was really the Broncos taking things away. It was just Dak had to make some difficult throws, and he just missed throws he usually makes. Has any defense played that much man against Kansas City this year? I don't Did know. Baltimore? I'm trying to remember. remember. Like, what was the Baltimore game like? Oh, no. no like... Baltimore played soft zone. They didn't blitz. They didn't yeah, do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, and then, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't think anyone has. They're, Quinn is, by the way, like, shown a real willingness to change game plans week to week this year a little yeah. bit. So, I don't think... And unlike Gus Bradley, he actually has decent personnel. Like, as much shine as Trevon Diggs has gotten. I actually think the entire rest of the Dallas secondary has been pretty impressive, um, which I don't know if that like reflects more poorly on Mike Nolan than it is like a compliment. Maybe it's a mixture of both. Um, like every other week, like did you see Jordan Lewis defending freaking Kyle Pitts this week? My God. Yeah. So um, he has the, he has the chess pieces to do what other defenses have done. Um, yeah. It, it'll be an interesting one. All right. As always, we will end with Dinks and Dunks. Dinks and Dunks are a part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? As always, four questions from me, one from Lenny. Steven, are you ready? I am. I don't know if I'm ready for Lenny's question, but I'm ready for the other four. Probably not. Okay. Question one. Am I crazy for thinking the Vikings have a shot against Green Bay? No, not at all. I, like, I, yeah. I, the, the Jordan Love game kind of like obscured the fact that this Packers offense, it hasn't been in the same rhythm that it was nope. last year when Rodgers won MVP. Like the one game I'm remembering is a game they won, like the Vikings game or not the Vikings, the Bengals game that they won. I think it was an overtime. It looked like a late era Mike McCarthy game where Rodgers wasn't playing within the offense and was trying to press and create big plays and get outside the pocket. And it just looked so disjointed. And we've kind of seen that the last couple of weeks when he has played even when they score a lot of points, I don't think it looks like last year. And it doesn't, it I don't know if they're ever going to be able to get back to that. Yeah, yeah it, that, it doesn't that, look right. as like easy, look as easy and smooth. And I also think, you know, for all the various injuries and this and that with the Vikings defense, Mike Zimmer is still, you saw that last weekend, this last weekend um, against the Chargers. He is still doing a good job of finding ways to put quarterbacks in a spin cycle. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, Packers defense is like as improved as everyone says. However, refer you to our discussion at the top of the show about the Rams defense. Um, you can run on them. They do. They're, this is mm -hmm. the Joe Barry's doing the Rams thing and the Fangio thing, whatever. Anyways. Um, and they just haven't really gone up against a, I think well, I pull up the Packers schedule. So the Seahawks can't run the ball. They were, they were begging Seattle to run. Right. And yeah. uh Seattle both can, not just wouldn't, but they like actually could not because they are not good at running out of the gun. They're down to their backups, Russell Wilson, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so they played the Chiefs, who we know can't run the ball. Cardinals can actually run the ball, but um, in this particular game, they did not run with much success. And then for that, Washington. Um, so Minnesota, to me, like presents a real challenge for this defense from a matchup perspective. 
I still think Green Bay is probably going to win, but I wouldn't be shocked if they upset them. And I, I believe Minnesota upset them last year around the same time, mm-hmm. and they did so by just running it down their throats. And obviously, Mike Pettin was the defensive coordinator, and that was a big reason why he was let go. But it's not like Joe Barry has improved things. And there's still a team that wants to play a little too high. So you, can, you there's going to be opportunities to run it. And we know Mike Zimmer is a coach that would want to run the ball. So I think that's going to be the game plan. And it's going to come down to whether they could stop Cook. And I, why would we have any reason to believe that yeah. they can? It'll be interesting to see. They've been playing more too high this year. Like, so the, from Petten to Bear. So Petten, you know, was, I mean, they play like a, a Actually, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I feel like they're in a nickel and dime a little bit less, maybe, than with Patton. Yeah, because yeah, they have better linebackers or whatever. But they are playing more too high. And I'll be curious to see if Joe Barry makes adjustments, given the obvious nature of this Vikings offense. Okay. Did you watch the Vikings game last week? Yes. <laughs> that Kirk that Kirk Cousins performance was something else. That was like I don't, I don't talk Kirk about Cousins it. to the max. <laughs> it was... Okay. <laughs> I honestly, every time I ever say anything negative about Kirk Cousins, he then plays well. And if I say anything positive, he plays poorly. It is like on, like clockwork. So no comment right now. I guess I will. Um, if, if the Vikings win, Vikings fans, I will talk about the Vikings next week. Ooh, I don't want to commit that to, this isn't writing, but commit that to podcast, but whatever I said it. Too In some capacity, I will. Okay, question two. Justin Fields, coming off of two good performances. If he continues to grow and crush it, the rest of the season, do you think Matt Nagy should keep his job? Hell no. No. Why? No. Will he, though? Maybe. Ah, that's a good question. The only reason I will say yes is because Ryan Pace wants to keep his job, and he, he hired him. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're in this together, kind of. So maybe Ryan Pace uses that as proof that Nagy is a good coach. But it's not a coincidence that every time Nagy hasn't been able to call plays or hasn't called plays, like the offense has looked much better than when he was calling plays. And I think you have to take that as a sign that maybe he's not the guy. And what other reason has he given us to think he's the guy? Like he way overreacted to the double doink game and that like ruined the next season. Like this guy doesn't look like a good head coach. I don't know. The kicker tryouts. God. Yeah. (sighs) Bears fans. I feel like you're upbeat these days. I'd be upbeat after that Steelers game. God, what a fun game. What a, like, honestly, that was, even just thinking about that game, kind of, even though it was horrible and the officiating was terrible, like, it was so fun to watch Justin Fields in that game. It was, like, truly an entertaining experience. I don't know, like, anyone rooting against him, don't root against Justin Fields. He's he's going to be good, and it's going to be fun when he's good. Question three. Did you see the thread that, I think it was some Chiefs fan, I feel like I feel bad, I just don't have his handle in front of me, made of what coaches, NFL coaches would do for a living if they weren't NFL coaches? Oh, no, I didn't. What? You didn't see this thread? Oh, my God. Uh, no. How did you not see this? I feel like it, we're on the same it was today? football internet. It was, no, it was like um, yesterday, maybe. Um, okay, so I'm going to pull it up. I don't know how I missed it. How did you miss this? It's like right up here. It was, um, he did every single coach, and it was basically, and he put their pictures in it, which really is, it's really helpful to have the visual aid. Um, and basically said, here's like what they would do for a living if, not, I'm clearly trying to buy time right now as I because I really want to give the guy credit. Okay, here it is. So the guy's handle is really great prep here. Um, Jeff Crisco. And um, I was going to ask you which one of these is the most accurate. You ready? You know what the coaches look like. So yeah. you can visualize them. Okay. Brandon Staley, youth pastor. That's one. John Harbaugh, landlord, parentheses, not a job. Sean McDermott, head head nurse. It helps because the picture, Sean McDermott's smiling in the picture. Hope you're remembering all these. Frank Reich, AP world history teacher. Super accurate. Oh, that's good. Pete Carroll, owner of a local chain of moderately priced furniture stores, somehow worth $15 million. Mike Zimmer, head of cardiology at a smallish hospital. Nick Sirianni, podcaster. Which one is most realistic? Like, which one do you think is the most accurate? Yeah. I would say that first one, Brandon Staley. I know. Yeah. It's, he has the whole AFC West, and he has Vic Fangio, head mechanic, Andy Reid, owner, local chain of barbecue joints, 
Rich Bisaccia, head chef at a local chain of pizzerias, but Brandon Staley used bastard is pretty hard to stop. Yes, Kevin yeah, Stefanski, firefighter slash professional hunk. That also, they're all really good. I encourage you to look up the, tra- the thread. Fangio, as a lead mechanic, that is that might be the best one that I've heard so far. That's a good one. He definitely looks like a guy that like just with like grease stains all over him and like a towel that he's wiping his hands with, and he tells you what's wrong with your car and why you owe him a thousand dollars. That's can't question that, it because you don't Fangio know anything about cars. Uh, yeah, right. that's a good. Don't one. know a thing. Matt LaFleur, real estate agent, also really jumped out to me. All right, question four. Uh, every week I ask my guests to pick a game that I'm having trouble picking. This week it's Bengals Raiders, baby. Ooh. I have a, do you, have you seen my feud with the Bangalorean? I've seen, I saw that you changed your avatar to what I assume is the Bangalorean, but I don't know why. Who is the Bangalorean? Uh, I lost the bet. No, I don't, the, know, I don't know. I don't know why there is a ba- a Mandalorian that <laughs> looks like a Bengal. Because the Bengals fans have their own extended universe, and there's like a, a Bengals Batman, a Bengals Spider Man, a Bengals a Bengalorian. There's like a, a like a lot of different characters just dressed up in Bengals colors, and he was one that just drew my ire the most. And I've been feuding with him because I make jokes about Joe Burrow's arm, but. I have to say, like, I think the Bengals are going to win this game. They're going to win this game easily. Because yeah. I don't yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to fool Joe Burrow. And I think that's how you beat him, is giving him one look pre-snap and then changing the look after the snap. And I just don't think that's how they play defense. I think Burrow's going to have a huge game against them. I love that you, like, are such a Bengals hater that even in picking them and praising them, you somehow made that sound like an insult. Um, I mean, who on the Raiders can defend Jamar Chase also? Yeah, exactly. And uh, let me say this about uh, about the Browns. I know it has nothing to do with this, but I gave that I'm giving their secondary a pass for struggling against Mac Jones because when you go from Joe Burrow and then you go to a rocket armed quarterback like Mac Jones, that's a hard adjustment. Final question: They're not used to that speed. On that note, from Lenny, when Mac Jones leads the Patriots to the Super Bowl, will you become the Joker? I already am. This week already turned me <laughs> that one game against the Browns. I'm already there. I'm not going to do. I was going to do a Joker laugh, but I don't have that in. He's me. got the he's got the Falcons on Thursday, so it's only getting worse from here, man. 